Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 75 with our guest, Piper Willoughby. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us today. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today, in part, describes herself as an ordinary human whose journey of self-discovery has led her through a great transformation, allowing her to connect with the very essence of who she is and letting her light shine brightly in the universe. The theme of the show is all about self-discovery, which is becoming aware of your own true potential character and motives. Think about those three things, your own true potential character and motives. We're going to go down each of those paths in part today. And I can surely relate to this, especially through the Hidden Entrepreneur brand, where prior to this current path, I was lost and ignored my own true potential for decades. Didn't want to see it, didn't want to acknowledge it or embrace it. I'm excited to compare notes with our guest today. Help me welcome, it's Piper Willoughby. How are you, Piper? I'm doing great, Josh. How are you today? I am so well. So let's get right into one thing that I just adore about the title of your book. First of all, there's so much to love about your book, and I know that we're going to unravel all of this, but the title is Musings on Weirdness in Love and Meditation. There's that one word, weirdness. A lot of people don't know what to make of that word. Sometimes they ignore it, they run from it, they deflect it, but we're here to embrace it. What what does the word weird mean to you and what does it mean in this context? What's so good about the word weird? Weirdness, I think, is a cooler word than weird. Um, Yeah, it's the mystical in a sense. It's the things that happen in our lives that are magical, the things that the more we pay attention to them, the more, the more we see, the more we notice. And it's weird. It's weird because I never knew these things existed. I grew up to, to, to be trained not to believe in them. And it's a wonderful weirdness, you know? Yeah. Very well, very well used. 
And your book, right from the beginning, says that it's a love story that may or may not be true. It's for us to decide and go along with. What could you tell us about the truth of the book? The truth of the book is it, uh, it's a journey of a woman and a man who... Um, <laughs> Well, we haven't gotten to that part of the book yet, who are twin flames. You're probably going to ask me, what is a twin flame? Um, should I go that direction? Absolutely. Okay. What is a twin flame? The premise is of, of twin flame. The most common definition is that it is um, one soul that reincarnated down here into two bodies. And it sounds very romantic, doesn't it? And they find each other and thus the passionate life-changing, altering world begins for them. Um, I, I don't know if, if that's truth or not. And I don't know if we'll ever know down here, right? In, on, on earth in this, in this 3D world. But I also believe that it may be, uh, you know, two souls whose resonance is identical, who, who like, it's like, um, you know, maybe two particles that split and they find each other at any point in the universe. It, it's sort of that sort of resonance where they're the same frequency as opposed to a soulmate, which would be like a, a like a harmonic freak, a harmonious frequency, like a, like a third or a fifth in music. Right. Whereas this is the same frequency. So the stat they're static in that frequency. It, it, it moves up and down. And that's sort of where it's challenging to stay at that same frequency with that same person on a continual basis because they mirror you all of your fears. Mm. They mirror you who you really are. They mirror you, your love, they mirror you, uh, your attachments. And so they, in a sense, catalyze you into looking at it, into looking at who you really are. There's something in the very um, opening of your book I highlighted here um, that just um, intrigues me. Um, I, I've always, I, I've learned to agree with this and understand it, and I'd love your take on it. It says, um, the physical human embodiment of the other is a direct reflection of the self. It's this part I like. This means that anything and everything that is bothering me about this other half of me, which is outside of myself, is a direct reflection of me, not him. That's right. I, I get it. Tell me about that. Um, I guess the thing that it just pops into my mind the most because it is uh, abandonment and rejection fears. Go ahead. So... A lot of people say, I'll call you later. A lot of people say, I'll text you tomorrow. A lot of people, you know, life is busy for all of us. It doesn't bother me in the least when that happens unless my twin does this to me. So I have to look at why. Why does it bother me? Because it feels like he's rejecting me. So then I have to think, why am I looking for that outside of myself? Why don't I feel whole enough within myself to not let this, yeah. Because yeah. I know I'm not being rejected 
deep in my heart and my soul, but yet I feel it on a human level. So they say that if we get uh, triggered or emotionally uh, arised by actions of another, like we're saying here, it's not a reflection of them and who they are. It's something within that we have to look at. Right. And I think it, it doesn't have to be a twin flame, right? Well, we need to do that in all of our relationships. I mean, uh, lost my train of thought there. Um, yeah. Okay. We have to look at where it's coming from. And, and most of the time I got You know, a lot of people say, Oh, past lives. Yes, certainly. If you can tap into that and you can figure out the traumas from your past lives, which I can do because of my meditation practice, but not everybody can, or not everybody wants to be hypnotized to, to do regression hypnosis. Most of the time, those traumas anyway from past lives repeat, especially in our childhood. So we have to go back and look at that, right? Um, normally, the hurts that we feel come from the hurts that we felt are unmet needs as, mm -hmm. as children. Mm, absolutely. And only until we are ready, willing, and able to address them, take a cold, hard look at them, embrace them, love them, acknowledge them, work through them. Yes. And then move forward. I, I did it. I had to do it. Um, you know, within the past year or two, that's, that's where I was. I spent decades in anger and misery and frustration and denial and just all this angst and anxiety and fear. It's terrible terrible then i got two kids who woke me up and said daddy that's not the way to do things i'm like what do you know and then i'm like wow well actually they know everything they're and you know they certainly didn't use those words but me kicking and screaming all day in their presence i'm like my goodness this isn't the life i want for me and certainly not for them to witness i have to i have to take an honest look and a lot of people aren't ready willing or able to do that and until you are things won't change. But when you are. Things won't change because you say, okay, I'm not going to act that way as a parent anymore. But then you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And you say, I'm not going to do it. Why am I doing this? Oh, what behavior does this remind me of? The way my mom was with me when I was a, a child as well. And you know, you, yeah, I, yeah. And, but I think one thing you said that is so important is looking at these character defects, we will call them. And loving ourselves or and loving them and embracing them not just dealing with them right mm. that that's a whole nother level and when that happens when that clicks when you can love the darkest parts of yourself then you are falling in love with yourself and that's another thing we never really learn to do we are always looking for acceptance from others always no matter what and the, and the more you can dig deep into who you are and like your heart just expands. It, it's amazing. And it, it's an amazing journey, you know? So true. I mean, I'm getting choked up because that's, that's where I am today. That's what I'm finally uh, acknowledging and, uh, uh, you know, doing where it's just like, you know what, you don't have to search on the outside uh, because you're not going to find on the outside. And all these years, that's, that's like the default of what we do. Like, oh, if only I can find someone who, if only I can find something that, if only I can buy something. No, it's none of that. When you internalize and love yourself as cliche as that sounds but that's the only action that's the only path then you will find the person then you will find the love and the joy 
that you're desperately seeking because we all want it. We're all, we all gravitate towards that, but it starts from within. And it's almost interesting why it's so opposite. Like, why do so many of us default to trying to look on the outside? Is it because we're scared or fearful of going through just revisiting the pain? What is it? Yes, yes, yes. I think a lot of people are so afraid of that. And this is why I wrote this book, because I noticed in the Twin Flame community, so many people in so much pain. And a lot of, a lot of us make progress I mean, we all make progress but and but sometimes it it's in spits and starts right it's, it, it the thing is i see a lot of people sort of lapsing off they can't do this journey anymore it's too painful it's too deep this book describes how that journey is possible and yeah there's it's raw there's a lot of pain in this book mm. but you come to the other side of it and there's so much abundance and gratitude and love and joy and freedom i had to write it to help those who are there you know who are in the in that yeah so let's talk about the book because i know that it's a parallel to your your true life so whether we're talking about the book or your true life set us up the characters in it are annie and alex who um well well annie and her husband at the beginning of the story, Peter, are in a long time committed marriage. But then what happens? Uh, Annie reconnects with Alex after about 25 years. And who is he? An old boyfriend from much younger years? Yes. Okay. But the way it happens is so like tap on the shoulder from the universe stuff going on where you mm -hmm. just can't do anything but reconnect. Um, Annie has a spiritual awakening throughout the process of this growth for her. She begins to realize that even though she loves very deeply the soulmate that she has spent a blessed 22 years with, mm -hmm. she doesn't feel that she can continue there and there you know there's there's other reasons there's personal reasons from his side as well um it's not just because of the spiritual awakening but it certainly did catalyze uh, catalyze annie and peter into looking at you know really looking at their th stuff and they decide to um split up and, and they do it in love and compassion for each other, um, holding space for each other when one is frustrated over the situation, mm. um, you know, instead of getting in arguments, allowing the, uh, just allowing. Um, so this process may or may not happen. It depends on each person. And, yeah. you know, this was a situation where the, camaraderie and the friendship and the compatibility was so good that they never really ever ever their entire lives expected this to ever happen so how do these things happen um i so let me ask you this because where there is the parallel between the book's characters and piper willoughby's true life in your version um your version of of Alex, how did he, in real life, how did he, um, did he just pop into your head, so to speak, 
25 years later or was there something specific that brought him into your head? What was the moment when, when he reappeared in your awareness? I was, um, I, I was in a woman, uh, I was in an art group that met once a month and we showed the work that we were doing and I had done this, uh, it was a contour drawing. Uh, months ago, I decided to paint it in and all of a sudden I get this painting of him, <laughs> but it didn't look like him that I remember, you know, all of a right. sudden bald guy and well, I haven't right. seen him in 25 years. I don't know, you know, right. so I, and then we have to talk about a painting that was the last one I wanted to talk about, but my finger would not let me go in any other direction. And I started crying and I realized, okay, I got to find out if he's even alive um, right. because of his drug addiction when he was, you know, when I left him, yada, yada. So that's how that happened. Like it was kind of divinely guided. And, and additionally, um, um, the editor of a magazine from the hometown that we're in, he had just been interviewed and I couldn't, I couldn't find him on Facebook. So I actually contacted the editor who hooked, who connected us, which is, you know, <laughs> kind of like against the rule book there, you know, it's just things happened that way. It kind of just, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And and what leading you to this because I know you personally were in the spiritual space to allow this to happen. Um leading up to it, what kind of spiritual work consciously or subconsciously uh deliberately or specifically were you doing that allowed you to be in this space? What was your practice? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um I really didn't have one for a, probably about you know 40 I don't know say 25 years 20 25 years I, I was actually um uh raising children but I also um I also was an alcoholic and am in, in recovery for that so I had spirituality through that 12-step program um, but I really wasn't doing anything else. You know, I was just struggling through life. I mean, thinking I was happy, but never understanding why I had this, this unease inside of me that wouldn't go away. And eventually it, it, it put me in bed. Um, I'd struggled with rheumatoid arthritis from the age of four. That was, you know, very prevalent again in my system along with fibromyalgia. And I mm. basically got up in the morning, drove my kids to school, came home and spent the entire day in bed in pain um, for about two years. And I was on a lot of drugs. I had a lot of other health issues, you know, stomach issues, um, like pretty much everywhere, right? <laughs> Anxiety, depression. I mean, it wasn't great. And my 18 when one of my children was 18 before she left for college she said she said she wanted to try clean eating that summer and i, I didn't even know what that was and i thought yeah that's not a bad idea i get you know i get tired when i eat bread like maybe i got a yeah. bread gluten thing so we started doing that and at that point i started developing a daily meditation practice um and i was finding that i was getting connected and i was i was being introduced to like my spirit got, you know, the first connection I made like that freaked me out. And I, I, I'd always wondered why I was so attracted to like rocks and I carried them everywhere with me and crystals. But then all of a sudden I realized I could put a crystal in my hand and I could feel its vibration. And then I realized that my hands were vibrating when I was in meditation. Then I realized my whole body was vibrating. And, and then I really was getting connected to this 
thing that was weird <laughs> and mystical and I didn't understand it, but I was feeling better. And I felt like the clean eating that like just the toxins were draining mm. from my cells. And within six months, I was off of all of my drugs. And within um, a year, without even going on a diet, I had lost 60 pounds. And I was active and I was healthy and I was passionate about life again. And I was on the road <laughs> to self-discovery. That's fantastic. Um, I want to go back uh, to something you just introduced. When you were four years old, you were diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis I, I have a, um, I currently have a five-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son, and um, I just couldn't imagine what that diagnosis would be. First, what exactly is that? Uh, to a four-year-old even, like, like what does that I mean? What is I'm sorry, what? what was your question? Rheumatoid arthritis. What, what is that diagnosis to a four-year-old? Oh, to a four-year-old in the 60s, okay? They didn't <laughs> know it was autoimmune. They didn't understand it. Uh, it was in my left ankles where it started. They didn't understand. It was the size of a golf ball, you know. Um, they thought, let's do experimental surgery on her. Maybe if we remove it, it won't come back. So I was in the, uh, the you know, the history books of this disease in terms of, so that happened. It came back in this time. It was higher and the feelers went higher and it went up to my knee. And then it started, you know, moving around my body. So what they thought was, well, um, okay, absolutely no activity. Um, you can swim and you can ride a bike and that's it. No gym. You have to, you have to, uh, pulled me out of, uh, I was, I was very, very much into dancing. Um, you know, um, and then they put me on, well, 800 milligrams of Motrin every four hours. This was before Motrin was over the counter. And I know over the counter dosage is 400. <laughs> so these are the sorts of things I couldn't even take gym class. They expected me to be crippled and in a wheelchair by, by the age of 16. So that's the news uh, that you were given as a, as a child before the age of 10. And yeah, about and... nine years old was when I was given that news. And, and who was your caretaker at the time? My mother. My mother. Wow. How, how could you, how, how does a nine-year-old process that? You know what my mother did? She knew I was heartbroken. Um, and she, she threw me into piano and mm. ceramics so that I still had creative outlets because I had to give up dancing. Cool. And yeah, that was a major blessing. So now you have this, I mean, if you were told that, hey, by 16, this may happen? I was. And at 16, I learned to snow ski. <laughs> so I was going to say, so what so, is a child? How do you look forward to yeah, that it's age? Hard, it's hard. And, you know, also, you know, kids tease you at school and stuff. And oh, man. I used to get teased about the way I walked. And I remember saying, you know, I'm lucky I can walk because I knew what it felt like on days when it was hard to walk. Um, and I had this idea in my head that potentially I may not be able to walk. Um, mm. So, you know, I have had moments in my life, points in my life where I've had to use a cane, where I've had to have a handicap placard. Um, yeah. And I feel today like my body's like, I still have issues, <laughs> especially from the surgery, but I'm getting younger. It feels like I'm getting younger. It's, it's kind of cool. 
So as a teen, you, you now reach 16 years old and perhaps you're quote unquote waiting for this diagnosis to kick in, but it doesn't. So how do you begin to um, emotionally and mentally live your days as a, as a high school student and then going into college? Um, drugs and alcohol. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I came from an alcoholic household too, but uh you know, we had a higher standard than most alcoholics because my father <laughs> had his own company and he was, you know, supporting us and doing very well, blah, blah, blah. And we had the showy, you know, fur and the Cadillac and all of that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I still got great grades. I still was very active in high school and did all the right things and went to, uh, you know, a, a top 10 school. So oh, good. Uh, I did party a lot, though. What did you What did you aspire to be at that point? I wanted to go to art school, but I had to go to business school because I was never making money doing art, according says, to my parents. Right? I was going to say, says who? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was very successful in business for many years, but I always felt like I was in a jail cell in my office with the door and the window, like, you know, I had the office with the door even, right? Um, but... It was like a jail cell to me. What was the business or the, the original one or what you first started? I was, in, uh, I was in marketing research, but I worked in finance. Hmm. And your, your health, aside from the drugs and alcohol, your, your diagnosis was in check from the arthritis and whatnot? Yes. Um, yes. And this is so interesting and it's fascinating because I began to realize after college, sort of in my early career days, um, that whenever I would get upset, my arthritis would hurt. And my body would flare up. I would feel this pain. And occasionally I would get a blood test to see what my RH factor was. And my RH factor was low. So I started realizing, hmm, well, what's going on here? So I, I, I went into psychoanalysis and began to make the connection of my my emotional body to my physical body and how when I had something on my mind that I wasn't dealing with or you know the person I wasn't telling how I was feeling it would come and all this pain would come into me um, it was a fascinating realization and also you know getting scientific confirmation that my RH factor was low was also pretty amazing right um, and I knew because I had that correlation in my twenties, I think that's why it was easier when I was in bed to get out to, to self heal, to know that it wasn't just meditation and food, but it was also this knowing. I started talking to my body in meditation. I started thinking it. When I told my body I loved it, I felt more tingles in my body than I did when I was in gratitude than when I said, I love you. When I said, I'm grateful for you. Thank you for putting me through what I've been through. Thank you for this pain I'm feeling today, but I don't need it anymore. Now, when I have a headache, it's gone. Boom. I ask it to leave. When I cut one week, I cut my finger three times with a knife accidentally. And uh, the first time it took about, uh, about two hours for the skin to go back together. The next time it was about 20 minutes and the next time it was about 10 because my body is on the self-healing process now. And I can literally, I truly believe that 98% of the disease we hold is because of we haven't released emotions. So I look all the time at my emotions and I'm always asking myself questions of like, 
why do I, getting back to this point from a long, many minutes ago, why do I feel this way? Where is it coming from? What haven't I processed? And it's okay to feel it again because it's going to come up and out. And the more I go through that process, the faster it goes. I fully agree with all that. I love the conversation of, it's not the first time I've heard um, talking to your body, which I think is a, um, a, a truly fascinating and necessary um, act to do. And, and it really works. Um, also going into the dialogue of the, like you said, um, most of our disease is caused from what we aren't releasing or talking about emotionally. We're not getting it out. And there is certainly the emotional connection between, uh, or, or there's the connection between the emotions and physical ailments. Can, can, I, say, can I add one thing in here? Please. For females, I, I can't speak for men, but uh, you know, it, our connection to our bodies seems very based on our, those around us accepting the way our bodies look. And we are so conditioned at such a young age with all of this programming. And, you know, I say the number one thing to do is unplug, turn off the TV, but, you know, the magazines and everything. And I think every woman should fall in love with their bodies by sitting naked in front of the mirror, by accepting every single wrinkle, by accepting every single, you know, fat little area you don't want um because this is it's just very healing it's in and, and i think we've all experienced sexual trauma at some level um a lot of it is not a lot of it but I, I don't know it's just a female thing and i'm just saying any of you women out there listening go and try that it it may help mm -hmm. um let's let's go to your um when did you meet your now ex-husband uh we met at work um after college for both of us we went to the same school right but yeah we didn't meet there and and this is the husband that you had spent 20 plus years with building a life um when you first met him as you remembered did you feel oh my goodness this is the one for me and it was just beautiful from day one yeah, I did. But yeah, I, yeah and I want to get people, the twins listening to this are going to say, well, what about your twin, right? And I'll have to tell you, um, yes, because I was with my twin before I met my husband. I was the one that ran. There's this runner mentality, and it's normally the person in the relationship that holds the more masculine energy. I, I, I held the more masculine energy at that point. I had my guard up, and I was going to, you know, be that corporate woman with the briefcase and all that in the man's role. And the reality of it was that connection is so energetic and, and, and so different than most connections that the intensity of it was just too much for both of us at that age. You know, like we didn't know who we were. We didn't know what we wanted in our lives. We both came from messed up backgrounds. We both had a lot to figure out. And so it made it very challenging and, and impossible to stay together. But the love was more intense than anything I had ever experienced ever, ever, You're talking ever. about your version yeah. of Alex. Yes. Yeah. The twin before your husband. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I just knew at that, I didn't know why, but I knew I couldn't stay in that relationship, even though the love was so profound. What attracted you to your husband? I think, well, first of all, we just hit it off. Like, 
very friendly, very, you know, I wasn't looking for a relationship. He wasn't either. It just sort of hmm. happened. And we had this amazing friendship and we were just like always kind of connecting. And I don't know, like, you know, yeah. we got along. I mean, there was nothing there that we weren't getting along about. And do you believe that there's one person, whether you call it a twin, whether you call it a, a version of a soulmate, is there one person that we are meant to be with? No, I don't think so. Not forever. People always change and grow. Even today on this journey, uh, it astounds me on a regular basis, the amount of new people coming into my reality that I think, am I meant to spend the rest of my life with this one? Am I meant to spend the, because the, the, you know, the resonance is there. Like there's all of this, but it, how, how could I have met another one if it was supposed to be that one? Right? Like it's, yeah, I don't think there's ever an answer. I think the best thing to do is, I think societally we have so many definitions around love relationship and romance. So, you know, if you want to stay in those norms, you're going to have a different experience than if you allow the universe to guide you. Hmm. So you and your, your husband were in this marriage growing apart and you had, you have now since separated because of this twin flame, are you with him? Did it happen? Did you rekindle? Did you meet him? What's happened current time with you and your twin flame? All of the above. But you're going to have to read book number two if you want to find out how it turns out. <laughs> book number two, part two. I love that. Uh, so um, it's Annie and Alex in book number two, seeing seeing what happens there. You got that right. And you and your um, real life, you and your um, ex-husband, uh, I love how you said that you, as lovingly as you each could, took care of each other through the transition out of this relationship. Did I get all that right? You absolutely did. As a matter of fact, I didn't even hire my own attorney. <laughs> we, that's how mutual it was. Wow. We agreed down to the last penny and you know, that stuff. So it, and I don't know. I don't know. I, it's, it was a beautiful thing. There's no reason why people have to place so much blame on others. You know, like we talked about earlier, that other person is your mirror. It always takes two to tango and mm. there's two sides to every story. And nobody's necessarily right or wrong. It just is. And people have different, you know, viewpoints. So you used the uh the term we were going back to um a little bit where uh, some years ago you spent about two years in bed you were talking about and then you said that you were able to heal yourself. Give us some of those, those yeah, ideas. yeah. How did that happen? I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because really it's yeah. so important. And Please. a lot of people, you know, I can't meditate, I can't meditate. The thing is, it doesn't mean that you have to be able to get to absolutely no thought, it means you have to start just sitting quietly with yourself and listening to the sounds of the fan in the room, the air conditioning, the birds outside, the traffic going by. Three minutes, that's all. You get thoughts and feelings are going to come up. They might be uncomfortable. 
just let them float away like clouds passing through a blue sky. And over and above that though, you know, I did have to find guidance. I had to seek out people who were uh, 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 beyond me. I knew I needed to do some inner child healing. Um, I found somebody, you know, I talked to friends, I, I made connections. Um, there's this funny meme about like, oh, so all your spiritual friends are in the computer. <laughs> but the fact is that we have this amazing worldwide community and there was so many awesome connections. Um, so I, I think that you also always need to like be stretching yourself. I know a lot of people say this, but that thing that you always wanted to do, start doing it even if you can only do it for five minutes because it'll shift your energy and you will feel it again and sometimes when we feel joy or that inner child that's really happy that frightens us because we're so conditioned to stay miserable at least I was mm. um that it was a, it took me a while to get used to being like in joy and peace you know uh, what it is I, I regular yeah. you know Day. Yeah. We are so conditioned to be miserable. Quote of the year, is it not? We are so conditioned to be miserable. You know what it is? Yes, we find that painful. Yes, it's misery by literal definition, but we keep going back to it. You know what I found? Because it's comfortable. Yes, it's painful, but it's familiar. And that's what we're drawn to, the familiar and the comfortable. Even though it's painful and it hurts and it's miserable, it's the pain and the misery that we know. So we keep going back to it. So until you are ready, willing, and able to be uncomfortable, which may not even feel that bad. It'll feel a little different. It'll feel a little uncomfortable for a little bit. But until you are ready, willing, and able to experience that uncomfortability, yes. you are never going to change. That's very true. Until you're ready. And that's why it comes to you in baby steps. Absolutely. That's, that's such the trick right there. S yeah. Sliver steps. It's so, so true. <laughs> Yes. Like, like people always say, the example I give is uh, if somebody wants to lose weight and get in shape, what do they say? Oh, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go five days a week. And they put this great big thing. It's like, you know what? Why don't you just cut down on the amount of soda you're drinking? Start there. Okay. Why don't you make sure to just drink a gallon of water every day? Start there. Don't start with, oh, I got to drive to the gym five days a week. Now I got to get workout gear. Now I got to learn what to do. Now I got to figure out how this works. No, just start small steps. Right. Because that, the, the thing you're talking about is just replacing one addiction with another. All of a sudden you're a gym junkie, right? <laughs> Seriously. It's true. So, and you know what? Why tell everybody that you're doing it either? Like, why do you need to tell the world? You know? I, yeah. Just... <laughs> Absolutely true. Yeah. Looking back on a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give that person? Um, I think I would, I would tell her to trust herself. And I would tell her that the love she has in her heart should never be extinguished. And that, And I don't know what else. <laughs> I think that's, that's yeah. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? I do. I do now. 
I didn't before. I mean, because I could be like, I could never, I'd say, gosh, they say everything happens for a reason, but I just can't figure out why could there be a reason for this pain? And it's, you know, but now I get it. Yes, it all happens for a reason, whether we like it or not, it all happens for a reason. It's to teach us our lessons so that we can transcend them and we can have more of an open heart. We, and two key parts of that are complete forgiveness and acceptance acceptance of others and for who they are and how they are yes. without wishing or wanting them to be different absolutely correct and forgiveness for who or for what both right mm-hmm. i think even forgiving yourself for all of the things that you've done to your body or you know all of the mental anguish you've put yourself through or all the attachments that you had and then forgiving others for what you perceive to be hurts and isn't that what they say that you're forgiving others for you not for them you can have peace that's right it's so true but i tell you uh it expands your heart it makes room for more growth when you can get to those places mm. Now, the whole, the, the whole idea behind The Hidden Entrepreneur was that I spent, I finally acknowledged that I'm spending years and years of my life hiding behind fear, using that as the excuse to maintain and perpetuate this story and belief I, I created for myself. You know, the right. whole, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not validated, nobody cares. So I showed up in all situations to allow others to, to validate that story for myself. Um, can you tell us about a time, what's up? That's so interesting. I love the fact that you're yeah. aware of that too. You yeah. Self-awareness, item number one on that list. If you can become more and more self-aware every day, that's the win I've learned and I'm learning, which is a whole conversation in and of itself. What is self-awareness? How do you become it? How do you know you're there? How do you improve on it? How do you use it? What does it mean? All of that. So using, um, using this basis of fear, can you share a time that you knew you were hiding behind fear, but you knew you had to get through it? Uh, You know, to be honest, I have never been a writer. This book kind of wrote me. Oh, I love that. So I didn't expect to write a book. I wasn't planning on it. It just started coming out of me. And I had to walk through a lot of fear Mm. to publish the book. I I was gonna ask that. Um, even yeah. though I'm using a pen name, I'm mm-hmm. still putting myself out there, and it's a work of art, just like a painting is. Oh, absolutely! But when you look at a painting, it's it's quicker. You don't feel as deeply into the soul as you do with a whole book full of words. So I felt like, as an artist, it was very exposing. And that is a big fear to walk through. And it's a brilliantly written book. I have a copy. Thanks for getting me that copy. It's, uh, it's spectacular. It's over 215 pages. It's, it, it's legit. I get it. And it's surprising that you don't come from that world, that you weren't an author or a writer. But obviously, it's in you. You had it. Yeah, I did. But I wouldn't have known if yeah, loud. My hmm. guy, myself to be guided, right? 
Yeah, I mean, there's so much in that we we all have to allow ourselves whole other conversation. Yeah, exactly. Which also I could relate to because I used to. I, I I say that we all we all know what we're capable of. We know what we should and could be doing. We know what's possible, but for all of our own reasons, we deny it. We ignore it. We turn it off. We turn our backs on it. We say, nope, for, nope, can't, can't do that. Too scary. Not ready for that. So many fears. So many fears I don't even know are fears some days, mm. you know, until I'm aware of it. <laughs> yeah. So true. And then, are, and then we have, go ahead. No, go ahead. You're good. Well, we have society, right? We have the, gotta lock the doors, gotta get the cameras installed, gotta do, like, God, it just keeps getting worse. Like, they are just trying to instill more and more and more and more fear into us so that so, we are afraid of our strangers. Right, right. and then we buy what they're selling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all, yeah, a whole other conversation. I love it. <laughs> right. <laughs> are, you, are you spiritual or religious in any ways? Well, I'm, I'm definitely not religious, um, religions, our belief systems. So spirituality is some degree, right? So I do consider myself spiritual because of the colloquial definition of that term. Um, I'm just a, I'm just a seeker, you know, a seeker of some seemingly elusive truth. <laughs> I love that. What do you believe happens when it's all over? When our time here on earth comes to an end? Oh, I think we rejoice and say, oh, thank God we don't have to wear those bodies anymore. You know, somebody asked me, like, if Jesus met me at the gate, what, what would uh, he say to me? And my answer was, let's dance. You know, <laughs> like, I think. Oh, that's it, a great answer. I, I tap in, right? I'm in that energy. I'm in those dimensions. I act, and even we, it's a whole other conversation, interactions with ETs, right? And, and, and beyond that. So I feel the vibration of their, their love that they hold, which is way higher than we're able to have down here. So it's gotta, it's gotta be better, man. I love that. Because I'm not coming back down to this ghetto planet again. <laughs> no. I love that outlook that your, your initial answer was we rejoice because we don't have to wear these bodies anymore. And there's, there's something to be said about seeing the excitement and the, the uh, positive outlook for what's next, what's waiting for us on that other side. Because again, by definition, what's the stereotype that we fear that? Yes, that's right. That, that scares us. But you're saying, no, we rejoice. It is so much better. I believe that's what's going to be. And Love I, hope, it. I do know it's a process, you know, to get to acceptance of your own death. And that was one of my big fears. Um, I'm not saying I'm there yet because I'm not close to death right now. Well, I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I did walk through that fear. Mm. I was petrified of dying. Oh, I was so scared. You know, me, me I too. thought it was going to come and destroy the planet. And I had to get off the West Coast. And I was going to, like, you know, just mm -hmm. be one of those people yeah. who. I lived there. Again, another conversation. I love it. We're planting all these seeds yeah, yeah. for. Totally. all sorts of uh, future conversations. But again, uh, fearing death has been, uh, that, that was one, one of many fears I had. It, it, just, it just grips you and, uh, you know, colors everything in your world. Yeah, for a while it does, yeah. I will leave you with this final question. Piper Willoughby, how would you like to be remembered? Um, 
I hope that I'm touching hearts. I hope that I'm helping people, um, not just through my written words, but through the work that I do in my other, in my, you know, as a, as a, a divine feminine empowerment coach and um, as a painter and as a teacher of meditation um, and a holder of sacred women's circles. So I just hope that I've touched hearts. And because of that, those people will touch other hearts. Hmm. Sounds kind of corny, but no, of course not. Also, I would want to be remembered as being authentic. Well, there you go. You've certainly touched this heart. And I mean that. I want to thank you, Piper, for showing up today and opening up today as you. Absolutely beautiful inside and out. Thank you for thank sharing you. you with us. It's been such a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate everybody tuning in today. We have another episode not too far behind. If you got something out of this, let us know. Take one step forward and put something good into the world. Like we said a little earlier, just one small action. You don't have to take 100 steps right now. Just take one beautiful step. We're going to have another great episode for you very soon. Until we do, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.